a listener production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. We all know someone everyone likes and respects. My guest today is one of those people. Amanda Whitley studied a Bachelor of Arts in Communication and has worked on everything from video production, graphic design, writing and managing websites to event management. Then in 2011, Amanda started her own media company in her spare bedroom. Now, I've been hearing about her Canberra for years, partly because of its immediate success in the market, but also because of Amanda's collaborative leadership style. Many leaders come onto this podcast and talk about collaboration, but from what I know, Amanda really lives it. Amanda, welcome to the Future Women Leadership Series. Thank you for having me. Can I start by just asking for our audience that are not from Canberra, a little, tell us a little bit about her Canberra. So I guess I described her Canberra as a, as a hyper-local Canberra media brand. Um, it started as a female-focused website, uh, which I guess it started as, as a blog, but was always, for me, I had a vision of it being a multi-contributor website. And it's since grown to a lifestyle media brand spanning web, social and events. Um, and I guess I like to think that we're about connecting uh, people to the soul of the city. You know, we, we so often hear these tales of Canberra as this soulless city full of politicians and roundabouts when the people that live here know that it's so much more than that. It's just such a success story and I guess as someone who's watched from the outside, everyone's sort of felt a bit jealous of your ability to connect so authentically with your audience. Do you consider yourself to be an entrepreneur? I, I guess so. I um, I guess I refer to myself as sort of an accidental entrepreneur because I never set out to be an entrepreneur. It was purely that I had an idea and I sort of gave birth to this idea and then the business kind of had to follow that. You know, I'm a very impetuous person, so I or, or like I have a lot of ideas. I have always say I have more ideas than time or money. And so when I had the idea for this website, I sort of sat on it for a little while and thought I'll just see if it if it goes away or if it gets bigger. And and it got bigger. So then I developed this really half-assed A4 business plan, and I took my husband to dinner. And I said, I have an idea. And I presented it to him. And he, I sort of half expected him to say to me, look, you know, good on you, but maybe you should just give it away. But he said, I think it's a great idea. I think you should do it. So then everything kind of followed from there. I had to figure out how do I create a WordPress blog, et cetera. But, you know, for me, it was always I'd approached it. How could I make this make money one day? 
And, you know, I had, I guess as a comms professional, I had an idea of who my audience would be and what would resonate. But, you know, it was even 10, 11 years ago, we were really at the very start of monetizing um, new media. And so, you know, I really was just making it up as I went along. Well, look, just firstly, congratulations. Like, it's an incredible achievement. The thing I'm interested in exploring a bit more is that entrepreneurial spirit where, you know, anything's possible and you're just going to figure out the problem. And then how that intersects with your leadership style and how you navigated the, let's just give this a go. And, oh, actually, I'm leading people who don't necessarily see the world through the same prism. Can you talk a bit to what you found? Let's start with what you found easy. Uh, Look, I find ideas easy. I find strategy easy. I always had, I think, a very clear idea of how her Canberra would come together and how it would work. And I guess I had the comm skills for that. Um, You know, for a good few years, it was just me. So I didn't employ my first employee until the site had been going for, you know, four years. So I actually just found myself a community of volunteers. And it was, I look back now and I, I guess I sort of look at myself and how naive I was, but also it's a little bit of like, you know, go girl. You just like, I had nothing to lose. I was literally just emailing people and saying, hey, started this website Nothing might come of it, but it also could be something. Do you want to play with me kind of thing? And, you know, and a handful of people did. And so, you know, that was for the first few years of of the website. It was just this, I guess, motley crew of people from of all ages and just all interests from all over Canberra. But I think one of the things that I'm good at is bringing people together and building that community. And, you know, I've still got at least half a dozen of that team who are working with me still as as contributors. So what were the hard bits of leading as a small entrepreneurial style of business? When you're dealing with a volunteer workforce, there have to be benefits other than money in it for people. So, you know, for me, I was really conscious and I still am really conscious that, you know, you have to give people a reason to want to be part of this journey. And for me, it was, you know, making them feel valued. And also, you know, when we did get opportunities, providing them with opportunities, not not just myself and taking all the good bits. Um, I think when I did employ my first person, I think I made a mistake in that I was looking around my cast of volunteers and thought, well, who would it be easiest to employ who doesn't like have a full-time job that they wouldn't have to leave, et cetera, and, you know, wasn't really thinking strategically about the fit and whether that was the right person. I think I've become a lot better at that as I've gone on and, you know, we now have a team that I think works really seamlessly together and some a blend of personalities that, that work well together. But that was a bit of trial and error and we have had sort of some ups and downs over the years. Let's discuss your leadership style then. How would you describe it? Uh, I think inclusive, consultative. Um, I really trust my people and I'm, I think, very flexible. And I think that goes hand in hand with with trust because I think 
we're juggling various responsibilities. And my, I guess my view has always been, as long as you do the work, I don't mind where you do it or when you do it. Emma McDonald, recently crowned Order of Australia Medal, um, is a nocturnal animal. So I will often get emails from her at 2 2 a.m. when she's filing stories, when I've been asleep for four hours. But that works for her. And we've just learnt that, you know, perhaps the traditional nine to five doesn't work for us and that's fine. One of the things that many people talk about privately that doesn't get done publicly is around working with um, it used to be millennials, it's now Gen Z. And you you touched on it before in terms of how your children see the world. How are you at leading that generation? As the owner of a new media business, I'm acutely aware that we've got a, a generation of consumers who consume their media in a completely different way. Like my kids would rarely click through to an article on, you know, on her camera or pedestrian or or the like. They get all their information from TikTok and Instagram, which itself can be can be dangerous. But, you know, we're now in this situation where we're like, all right, well, I'm nearly 50. I don't consume my my um, information that way. I think it's incredibly valuable to have those people as part of the team who do, who are natives in that area and see things through that perspective so that we can continue to, um, you know, bring those people along with us as a brand because I think otherwise you're at danger of ageing out. And I just think, you know, and it also keeps us fresh and we really like to just encourage them to be part of building sort of what the next iteration of Her Camber looks like, I guess. Is your team mostly women? It is. The Her Canberra team itself is is all women. And we've recently sort of brought a bloke across to do a bit of work with us. So this is a controversial question, but do you find there are any issues with managing an all-female team? I actually don't. We get along so, so well. I think we really do feel like family, which I know sounds really corny, but I guess I compare it mostly like, you know, we are quite like sisters in that we can disagree and we do disagree, but we respect each other and we love each other. So we get around it and we, you know, we get over it. And I just think, you know, I I think that's partly to do with the fact that we are a really small team. There are five of us, you know, a number of us have worked together for quite a few years now. And we have that depth and that strength of relationship, but it's never been an issue, which I feel incredibly grateful for. Well, for what it's worth, I think the answer is often about leadership. You know, it's usually about the person at the top, if you can create that kind of environment. And it is the holy grail. It's what we all want to feel like when we get to work. Do you think there's anything in particular with the way you've led that's created that culture? I'm someone that wants to adopt pretty much everyone that works for me and I think that's probably part of it. I guess if you're looking at the converse, one of the things I really struggle with is that separation between leadership and friendship. For me, I operate best when it's very fluid and when it is integrated and most of the time that's that's brilliant and it works really well. It's only when things get a little bit prickly and there's hard conversations that need to be had, there can be a downside to that. 
um, because sometimes it's really hard to have, um, you know, so during COVID when, you know, we really, we suffered really quite brutally, you know, and I had to let people go and, you know, that, and that was gut-wrenching um, because you have to make decisions which you know that they're necessary, but it really is, you know, it's like letting a member of the family go. And, you know, and one of those um, separations went very badly and, you know, and I haven't spoken to that person in more than two years, which still, you know, really guts me. But I guess for me, I don't know of any other way to be. That's just how I operate the best. How do you navigate that operating environment then where, you know, you've got staff who are loyal, dedicated, hardworking, super talented, you know they're worth more than they're being paid and yet you do have responsibilities to others and it's a constant balancing act when you're looking at a P&L. How, how do you manage those conflicting interests and I guess my core question about that is how much do you tell them about what's going on? Look, I've always been very authentic and open and honest. And look, particularly through COVID, we pretty much had an open book. We were incredibly honest with the staff and said, look, this is the situation. These are the hard decisions we need to make. Um, this is what the numbers look like. And, you know, and I think that they appreciated that honesty. You know, it created an even deeper sense of ownership, I think, of the business. Like, you know, our team are incredibly loyal, incredibly loyal. And we're, we're not in the position where we can pay, you know, what some big corporates or public service pays. We just, we just can't. Um, so there has to be a deeper motivation and, you know, I found myself apologising at times and saying, I'm really sorry, I can't pay you what I know you're worth. But, you know, their answer has always been, that's not what it's about. We're in it for all these other things. But I found that, you know, for me, the key to having that loyalty is people need to feel a sense of belonging and they need to feel a sense of ownership. And, when COVID hit, I took a year out of the business. Uh, the, the bottom line was such that we could not sustain everybody. And in a, um, you know, in a moment of desperation, I said to my husband, look, I've just seen this ad for um, someone to lead the ACT COVID comms, web and social. Maybe I should apply. And it was really off the cuff. But he said, I think you should think about it at which point I cried because, you know, you don't work for 10 years to think, well, okay, great. I've put in blood, sweat and tears for a decade and now I have to, you know, step out of the business. But it was necessary to keep my team employed, the majority of my team employed. Do you feel like not telling them is part of being a leader? So why burden staff with the pressure that you're under does that ever occur to you? Look, there are some things that I don't burden them with, but I think it just comes down to personality 
And I think that particularly during the COVID situation, it wasn't an option, you know. It wasn't an option for me to say, hey, I'm just going to go and do this other thing for a year, but here's the website, look after it, be nice. It was an extraordinary situation, but I think once we got through the initial hard decisions, it was important that they had confidence that we're in a good situation and we would get through it. And I think we gave them that and I think we gave them that security. So, but I just, I don't know, I am a complete oversharer in my, you know, that's my personality and I just, because I felt that the team, this was their business as well. You know, I've had Emma and Beatrice who are associate editor and editor, they've been with me for, um, you know, six and eight years respectively. It's as much their business as it is mine really and they're more than just employees. You know, they are they are in the fabric of the business and I just couldn't have not brought them into that. So knowing all of that about how deeply you are connected to your people and your team, do you think that you'll ever resolve that painful separation? Can you see a time where that person that you lost and which still bothers you or upsets you, you can repair that relationship? I would like to say yes, but I don't think so. Knowing knowing that person, she is very black and white um, and it's also, I think, a protective mechanism. I've reached out a number of times. Um, I've just had to come to terms with the fact that it was a decision that I made at the end of the day that, you know, that was my responsibility and that was my course of action and, you know, that I cannot blame her for how she reacted to that and, you know, that's just something that I think I just need to let go. Is there anything you did wrong in that process in your mind? Do you blame yourself for anything? Yeah, I think, look, it was just, it was an incredibly stressful time, you know, I think we were all a little bit mad when COVID hit because I think, you know, it was just all of a sudden the world as we knew it had changed. I think my tendency is always to try and protect and I couldn't in this instance and I probably tried to protect her from the reality for too long and I should have just been probably a little bit more brutally honest earlier on. I don't know that that would have saved any of the hurt, but, you know, I think sometimes when we we try and shelter people, it can have the opposite effect. And that goes to my question earlier about how, how much do you share? Because I, I sometimes feel that it is my job as the leader to not burden the team with the day-to-day pressures that I feel. But equally... If I'm brutally honest with my motivations at all times when I'm making hard decisions and my motivations are for the good of the people that I serve and that I lead, then I'm making a decision that's in the best interests of the team. I'm not making a decision that's in the best interests of me and therefore I find a way through that decision-making process to a space where I feel like I've 
done the right thing. And I guess what I'm saying is I've done the right thing by a group of people, not necessarily the right thing by an individual, which is, I guess, what our politicians and our leaders do every day on a grander scale. But, geez, it's hard <laughs> some days. Oh, look, absolutely. And I think, you know, in a perfect world, we would save everybody. We can't always do that. And I know looking back that it was the right decision. It just wasn't an easy decision. Yes. Fascinating to talk to you about this. And um, thank you for sharing that story. What do you see for her Canberra now that you've got through what we hope is the worst of it? I acknowledge with some economic headwinds that we're reading about at the moment. Um, where do you see the future of the business and the future of um, your career and role as a, as a leader and entrepreneur? I've been doing her Canberra now for 11 and a half years. So I started in 2011. And before COVID hit, I'd started to get itchy feet, I guess. You know, I'm someone that I like variety. I like doing new things. Um, and, you know, a decade is a really long time to be doing one thing, even though I'd, you know, reinvented things a number of times throughout that. But I guess I'd started to ask myself, you know, what's next? Um, and I'd been toying with some, you know, ideas around getting back into perhaps broader comms work, but with a focus on everything local, you know, I sort of, I felt like I had a lot to offer in terms of I know Canberra really well and I understand their city and I know the people. Um, obviously, when the pandemic hit, I was pushed back into that broader comms work. Um, and while I was off in the wilderness of COVID comms, um, my team moved in with Coordinate, which is uh, a local creative comms agency who's had a little bit of equity in her campus since 2014. So as I got towards the end of my stint outside the business, I talked to my team and they were just so happy to be part of this larger creative cohort. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, perhaps this was the future, not only for me personally, but, but for them. And so about a year ago, I joined Coordinate as a partner selling her Canberra to coordinate. And I'm now a partner that looks after the content and communications division of which her Canberra forms a part of. And look, that's, um, it's been a really good move for a number of reasons, um, particularly for the team, because it gives them an opportunity to work more broadly than her Canberra. They're developing skills in, you know, a wide range of comms disciplines. But also it gives them a career development path. You know, when you're, a, when you're a business of five people, there ain't a lot of places to go. Whereas, you know, we now have the opportunity to sort of look and go, all right, do you want to learn more about um, media buying? Do you want to learn more about advertising and marketing strategy? Um, and I think that that makes us really attractive as an employer as well. But also just it sparks my creativity and it sparks their creative juices as well. And it's a really vibrant um, place to be part of. So I think for us, you know, that's where we see our future is, you know, really being that hybrid agency slash media platform. And then, you know, looking at what does her Canberra as a product look like for the next 10 years 
is it not a gender-focused product? Is it going to cross more platforms? Do we look at things like subscription models? Do we amp up our events again now that we can? You know, I think there's a, a lot of exciting things ahead and I'm just really fascinated to see, you know, where the landscape goes in the next few years because, as we know, in new media, things change <laughs> pretty much every week and you just got to keep up with it. Well, as a, someone who's very new to the entrepreneurial pathway, congratulations to not only building a brand that has the resonance, doing it in a in a media world, which is incredibly difficult, and being able to exit um, successfully and take your team with you. That's quite an achievement um, and a testament to you. So, Amanda Whitley, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you when um, I'm next in Canberra. Oh, wonderful. Thank you for having me. It was really lovely, um, yeah, to chat. The Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe, Executive Producer, Jenny Goggin, Sound Production by Darcy Thompson.